Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Osband, our daf of the day, Masachet Yevamot, daf pei hey, page 85. Um, okay, so as you would expect, our Gemara today is going to relate to this very long Mishnah that we had from yesterday. Um, I have, uh, there's a piece I want to talk about on Aman Aleph that is a little bit apart from that. And it begins essentially with a Maisa Shahaya, right? A, an event that took place. Rav Papa Rav Huna Bered Rav Yoshua Iklu Lehintzvu. So Rav Papa and Rav Huna, Rav Huna, who was the son of Rav Yoshua, went to the place of Hintzvu. This is a town. Laatre um, Rav Idi Bar Avin, and this was a place where Rav Idi Bar Avin, I guess, lived or was a rabbi, something like that. Meaning, it is considered his place, or that's how it's described. That's how it's described here. Bo Minaihu. So then they ask him, and I have this vision of, you know, they show up to town with their satchels on their backs and everybody kind of crowds around the mask. I'm not saying this happened. I'm saying this is the way I picture it because the way that the Gemara presents it is that, you know, there's no there's no time lag between when they arrived and when they get asked questions. So it seems to me that like everybody came running to ask the rabbis the questions. Although, again, I'm not saying that that's really what happened. Um, but and it's not really logical to think that it was. They came to ask him whose haru sherot linaseh Lipsulin Olo. Is it prohibited for the Benot Kohen, right? The, any daughters of Kohanim who are in fact eligible to marry Kohanim, can they marry the men who are disqualified from, from the Kohuna? Meaning, if you have a, a Kohen who is not, let me say this carefully, right? It's one thing to say that Yisrael, uh, you know, somebody can marry, we know that a Ba Yisrael, right, is eligible to marry, let's say, any of these Kohanim are not eligible for the priesthood. But can the Benot Kohen, can the daughters of the Kohanim, who themselves could marry Kohanim, do we say that they can marry whoever they want amongst, you know, amongst the people that they're eligible to marry? Or do we say they shouldn't marry somebody who's been disqualified because they themselves are not disqualified? You want to talk about, you know, hierarchy of purity or something like that, Kedusha, really, not purity. Um this is the example of that, meaning it is not, it is, again, another not PC kind of question. And yet, it's a really interesting one, I think, to say, like, to what extent do we hold these Benot Kohen to be, are they at a different level? Are they at a higher level? Are they limited because of, they, because of their status? And so on. So Rav Papa answers, Amar Lahu Rav Papa, asara alumi bavel. So Papa says, you learned this, and we know, meaning we, because we have footnotes to tell us, this is a Mishnah from Kiddushin, um, from the Masachas Kiddushin. There's a list of 10 lineages that um, came up, meaning made Aliyah, right, from Bavel. How, Kohan, or who? Kohanim, Levi'im, Yisraelim, Chalalim, Geirim, Vacharurim, Umamzerim, Netinim, Shtukei, Vasufei. So this list includes you know, groups that we already know about, Kohanim Levim, Yisraelim, that's the just the regular breakdown of the people. Chalalim are, again, the people who are the progeny of a Kohen's prohibited relationship. Converts, freed slaves, Mamzerim, Givonim, you've heard from us about that as well. And then Shtukim are people who are of unknown parentage. I would call these, a, let's say, a foundling, meaning somebody's uh, a baby is left on the synagogue stairs, on the synagogue steps, and there's no indication who the parentage is. That is a really, really challenging halachic status because you don't know 
is this child kasher? Is this child a mamzer? Is this child a kohen? And who can this child marry? Marry becomes very, very complicated. Um, so um, the English translation also, you know, uses the term foundling for asufe. We'll talk at another time about the difference between a shtuki and a asufe, asufi. Um, fine. Kohanim levim Yisraelim mutarim lavo zebezeh. So the first three are meaning Kohanim levim and Yisraelim are all married, all eligible to marry each other. We're not talking about a Kohen Gadol. We're not talking here about what happens when you get divorce involved. But just straight up, right? The, all of these people are eligible to marry each other. If you take Kohanim out of the mix, then you add in the Chalalim, the converts, the freed slaves, right? They can all marry each other. And then these the more limited populations are these more questionable statuses, right? Which begins with converts. It's not that the convert has a questionable status. It's that the convert in joining Kahal Hashem at this time is remains eligible to marry populations that are not allowed into Kahal Hashem because of that shift of, of that person status to be a convert. So again, converts, freed slaves, mamzirim, Yivonim, Shukim, and Asufim, all of these are can marry each other. Um, they can marry each other. The Elo Kohanot Lechalal Lo Katani. So he's got Rav Papa's gone through this whole long list of populations of from that Mishnah in Kiddushin, who can marry who who, who can marry who? And the Mishnah there does not list anything about the daughters of Kohanim and whether they're married, whether they're allowed to marry Chalal. Meaning the, it doesn't say that they're allowed. So Rav Papa says, so that must imply they're not allowed. This is his position. Remember, he's come traveling with Rav Huna. Bered Rav Yoshua. Amarle Rav Yohuna, Bered Rav Yoshua. Kol hechadahani nasvei mahani vahani nasvei mahani katani. Rav Huna says, you, don't, you can't prove anything from here because this halacha basically says that these people can marry these people. These men can marry these women. Right? And there's... you." Know, Right. And then you even have a case of these women can marry these men. But it's not that there's anything more detailed when you get down, or more granular, I think, is the question here. It never talks here about the fact that a Kohen can't marry a Halala, meaning in this particular Mishnah, that's not the topic of discussion. So you can't prove anything from this particular list to answer the, the people's question, the people from Hintzfu. Um, so remember, this is his town. They go before Rav Idi Avin. Amar lahu, Zardke, Hachi Amar Rav Yehuda Amar Rav, Lo Huzaruk Sherot Linaselip Sulim. So they come before Rav Idi Avin and he, they tell him the question and they explain the debate, right? That Rav Papa has one, is a more stringent position and Rav Huna. I don't know if Rav Huna's position is technically more lenient, but he's certainly not quite buying Rav Papa's proof for his more stringent position. And he says Dardiki, which is a like a you know an affectionate um not nickname, whatever, you know, a, a term to say, my children, right? Um this is what Ravud said the Rav said specifically that we're talking here about those who are fit to marry, meaning again, the Beno Kohen who can marry Kohanim, they're not warned against marrying people who are disqualified from 
the priesthood, meaning from the kahuna, meaning according to Rav Yehuda Amarav, according to Ravidi Bar Avin, there is no prohibition. So the answer to the people of, of the town is that they're really fine. Of course, my big question is, since the question comes back to Rav Yehuda Bar Avin anyway, why didn't the people of Hinsfu go to Rav Yehuda Bar Avin? And I, I don't think I'm going to get an answer to this. No, but I, I think the one thing, you know, that's very interesting about this passage is this whole issue of sort of like uh, yichus. And, you know, it's worthwhile to go look at Ezra and Nehemiah when it talks about the Asar Yochsin Alu Mibabel. Um, because one of the things you see that happens, particularly in Nehemiah, is confusion over people's genealogy. Something got lost even over the short 70 years between the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash and then the that it was not totally clear, like who were Kohanim, who may not have been Kohanim, like what origins people had. And you see that there's, uh, it's interesting to see this type of confusion. And I think it tells us something about like diaspora communities and like the trauma of having to leave and go somewhere else that a lot of who you are gets lost. Like we imagine when the first Beit just was destroyed, you know, people's lost a lot of family members, maybe didn't know who they were, maybe they were a child. And so then when they come back only 70 years later, there is some confusion regarding certain people and families as to like what exactly their genealogy is. So it's very interesting to read. It's uh, more Nehemia, but I you know encourage you to, to find it if you have time. I think it's a really important point. I think it's something that we see in our own generations, not only the kind of thing, the destruction that took place both in Europe, obviously, but also in the, you know, the more Eastern or Arab lands, where there was plenty of destruction of the Jewish communities as well, where people don't necessarily know their generations going back. But I would say that even the way people move around nowadays, and even with all the technology that we have, you know, how many people know how much information about, let's say, you know, great grandparents, you know, it becomes you list all of your great grandparents, Hebrew names, I don't know if I could, I might be able to, but I'd have to really think about it. Exactly. I do want to just give a very quick who's who on Rav Idibar Avin, since we're talking about him not just as a as a halachic voice, but also as the Mar Atra, right, the the rabbi of his town. So he's an Amora from the third, fourth generations in Bavel, and we don't actually know that much about his life. We do know that he had two sons who came to be um, amongst Chazal in the next generation. We also know that he lived except an exceptionally long. Um, Okay, I think that's enough for a who's who for today. Yordana, take it away. Okay, so okay, the so- Gemara then is going to get into a discussion about uh, this whole issue of do you maintain your ketubah if you are in a forbidden marriage? And we saw from the Mishnah that there was a distinction between uh, marriages with a shniot, like a secondary Dorabanan isor, versus Doraisa. And actually, the Dorabanan ones are much more strict. Uh, than the Dorabaisa ones, because the idea being that we're worried people won't k- keep these Dorabanans. So there's there were many different p- passages that I could have read about this discussion. I think it's a great question. Um, but um, I want to basically go through, there's a, a long Brisa that I think sort of, to me at least, was the best summary piece to go through here, talking about what, talking. The, you know, defining a wife's rights in these types of forbidden marriages. Tanu Rabbanan. So a widow who marries a coin gadol, grusha bechalutza the coin hedjot, 
So this is exactly what our Mishnah says, right? That these, um, that they actually do receive their ketubah, um, but it also gives the whole list of produce, sustenance, and uh, and garment. But she's disqualified, meaning she's a chalala, and her child is also disqualified, and he's actually, we force them, or we force a man at least to, uh, to give her a divorce. Now we have a different category, but the point is, is that she still gets all of her rights as a marriage. So these secondary arayos, which are prohibited by the sofrim, right? In that case, the woman would not get a ketubah. Right? They don't get any, she doesn't get any of her marital rights. But she's a kshera. And a child born of that union is kosher, but also similar to the other case, we do try to force a. Now, the Bryce is going to give us the reason for this distinction, which we did talk about. Right? So, why does she get a ketuba? Because. Um, as uh, you know, both he is disqualified and she is disqualified. In other words, a Kohen who marries a woman who's specifically forbidden to Kohanim, he is not allowed to basically participate in any type of the Kohanim services until he basically says he won't, uh, they make a nether sort of this. We'll see this uh, later on in Bechoros. He has to make a nether saying that, you know, they won't get any benefit from each other. But the idea is, is that they're both disqualified. And in any case, where they're both pasul, the rabbis basically want to give him an added penalty by saying, you think it's a forbidden marriage and you're both pasul, but you know what? You're still going to have to pay the ketubah. You're going to have, you're not going to benefit by anything uh, monetarily. And why did they say that the secondary arrivals don't get a ketubah? Because ultimately, they still remain kosher. And so there, it's like a, 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 they penalize her in a different monetary way. By you don't get your ketubah. In other words, because they could justify by saying, well, I still maintain my kosher status. I'm not pasul, so I'll still enter into this marriage. So for that case, they're going to say, okay, you don't get any of the marriage benefits. Now there's a different reason. Rabbi says, Torah, right? These prohibitions, the one with the Kohen Gadol, are biblical, but Divrei Torah and Trichin Sezuk. And Divrei Torah don't need any type of support. But Halulu Divrei Sofrin, whereas the ones that are Divrei Sofrin, but Divrei Sofrin, Trichin Sezuk. Divrei Sofrin needs some type of support. And then finally, we have a third reason, Devar Acher, Zehu Margila. This case of marriage between a widow and a Kohen Gadol or the, or the divorcee and the Chalitz of Mori Kohen, this is a man who persuades the woman to marry him. Vizoki Margilota. But in the case of secondary arrivals, it's the woman who persuades the man and therefore uh, she would be disqualified. So this is a very interesting comment here. And the idea is, is that if a Kohen was going to go through with this, it has to be the Kohen's idea, right? Because like if the Kohen understands what it is that he's giving up, and he must have put pressure on the woman to it. Whereas the secondary arayos, right, she, you know, basically sort of takes into account or thinks a little bit about she's not going to be made kosher, unkosher, and her children are going to be kosher. 
So in a way, she doesn't have anything to lose from the marriage. So they had to put in something for her to lose. And therefore, they make sure that she doesn't get her ketubah. Whereas on the other way, right, where, you know, uh, with a, with a Kohen Gadol, her children are going to be pasul or will be halal. So she really doesn't have an incentive to go through with it. And so that why the assumption is, is that the, the Kohen would be the one putting on more pressure. I think what this sort of implies also is that it's ultimately the women who are looking out for to see what happens to their children, not the men entirely true. Um, but it's, I don't know, I thought this was a good brysa that sort of explains the distinction and gives reasons for why that distinction actually exists. Um, I like this brysa because I feel like it provides like a whole rationale that we didn't have before. Yeah, and I and I think it's also interesting that they give three distinct reasons. Like, there's not just one reason there. Um, and, uh, you know, each one has its own validity um, and sort of is a different interesting perspective on sort of the motivations or what, like, why would someone go into this, you know? But again, what I'm struck by, which I mentioned yesterday, is the fact that it's still considered a valid Kedushan. And to me, that's our question that we need to take into Kedushan. I hope it comes up in Kedushan. Why would a, a sewer relationship still be considered a valid Kedushan, right? You would think it's like Kedushan doesn't take hold or you wouldn't be allowed to do it. The Gemara doesn't deal with that here. I don't know if it's going to come up later. Well, we know, I mean, we'll see it when we get to Kedushan that there's plenty of cases where it doesn't take hold. So that I think is always interesting, right? Why does it work in these cases and not in others? Right, which will will you have months till we get there? But but I think we will. Yeah, I I, I think that's uh yeah that's that's the question I'm holding on to. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydra website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Tom and Facebook page. Go and learn.